So uh, tonight we are going to look at uh, another piece, another uh, what I consider to be a classic uh, essay uh, in Jewish thought. This one is from Rabbi Saul Salanter. And the main uh, topic over here, this is a, uh, a topic which I've talked about, uh, you know, over the years a number of times. But now we'll get to see a little bit uh, inside and uh, address it directly as a piece by itself. But this is, and we'll have to see whether or not we get it done all tonight, or it'll take us uh, a couple of weeks to go ahead and do it. It's shorter than the Mikhtar Meliau piece, but it's a very important piece that addresses the issue of Eluv Elu Divre Elukim Chaim, the uh, the concept or the coexistence of multiple multiple opinions, which can be at odds with one another. And we'll see. Rabbi Yisrael has an amazing is uh, amazing chiddush. An amazing uh, novel idea as far as his understanding of how halacha works. Uh, and this is something which is uh, incredibly, incredibly important to, uh, to be aware of. So let's sort of jump into the, uh, to this piece. Let's see what he says. And there are parts of it which I have underlined. Those will likely be the parts uh, which, we will, uh, which we will read inside. So he begins with a, a story in the Gemara in Tainus. And the Gemara Tainus, uh, as, as you know, talks a lot about what happens when there's no rain, when the, the sky just isn't producing any rain. And obviously in an agricultural society, if it doesn't rain, so that means big trouble for everybody, everybody who's a farmer. So there's no food, you can't feed the kids, you can't pay your bills, you can't do any of those, uh, those things. So the Gemara relates that the great Tana Rebelezer, so he went up to the Amr, he served as Shliach Tzibor, and he said, as the Gemara describes over there, he said, the longer Shmon Esrei, which is uh, specifically designed to, uh, with an additional six brachas to, uh, to, uh, uh, that we add into the Shmon Esrei, in order to be able to invoke HaKadosh Baruch Hu's mercy so that the rain should fall, the Gemara says, V'lo nana. And even though Rebbe Lezer had said this incredibly powerful Shmon Esrei, so his prayers were not answered and the rain did not fall. Then Rebbe Kiva, there's a very famous Gemara, Rebbe Kiva steps before the Amud and he says the words, it says, uh, well, I wasn't planning on reading it, but it's probably Kedai to read this. It says, Yard Rebbe Kiva Achrav, Va'amar Avinu Malkeinu, Ein Lanu Melech Ata. So Rebbe Kiva gets up and he composes what we know to be part of the Avinu Malkeinu Tefillah, and he says, Avinu Malkeinu, our father, our king, we have no uh, king other than you, and immediately begins to rain. The, cloud become, the, the sky becomes filled with clouds, thunder and lightning, and you have this uh, rainstorm, which uh, allows all of the crops to, uh, to grow. So witnessing this event, where Belezer davens for the Amud, and the sky is still clear blue, Rabbi Kiva gets up and davens for the Amud, and there's clouds and there's rain. So the, the Gemara says that the rabbis began to question the piety of Rabbi Lazar. Obviously, Rabbi Lazar isn't as big of a tzaddik as Rabbi Kiva, because he davened a whole long shmonesrei, 24 bracha shmonesrei, and he wasn't answered. Rabbi Kiva goes ahead and throws out a simple line, Avinu Malkeinu, Ein Lanu Melech Ata, and all of a sudden it begins to rain. So here in the first underlined section, so we say that we could actually make this a little bit bigger. That's better. So we say, Yatza Basko Amra. So Basko comes out and declares, just to clear up the air, as it were, and says, 
The reason why when Rabbi Kiva David it rained and when Rabbi Lazar David it did not rain is not, should not be misinterpreted or misunderstood as an indication that Rabbi Kiva is greater than Rabbi Lazar. Rather, what's the reason why Rabbi Kiva was answered and not Rabbi Lazar? It's only because Rabbi Kiva is a forgiving person and Rabbi Lazar is not a forgiving person. That's the, that's the explanation with that's the explanation that the Bosco gives, which is recorded in, 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 in the Gemara. So it's a funny thing, which is what Rabbi Sorrell points out over here. He says that on the one end, the Bosco says, don't misinterpret what, what went on to assume and assume that Rabbi Kiva must be greater than Rabbi Lazar, because really Rabbi Kiva is not greater than Rabbi Lazar. So why was Rabbi Kiva answered and not Rabbi Lazar? Because Rabbi Kiva is forgiving and Rabbi Lazar is not. Well, that sounds like a reason that Rabbi Kiva is greater than Rabbi Lazar because he's forgiving. It sounds as if to say that being a forgiving person is a greater meter, is a greater character trait. Is We would all assume that that's a positive character trait. Somebody who's not forgiving is, a, uh, is not a positive character trait. And the reason why it rained is because Rabbi Kiva was in possession of this good, positive character trait of being forgiven forgiving, whereas Rabbi Lezer did not have that trait, and that's why it didn't rain. So that just sounds like a fancier way of saying that Rabbi Kiva is greater than Rabbi Lezer. So how in the same sentence could we say Rabbi Kiva is not greater than Rabbi Lezer, but the reason it rained is because Rabbi Kiva is forgiving and Rabbi Lezer is not? Well, that sounds like because Rabbi Kiva is greater. And he says, especially because we have a Gemara in Rosh Hashanah, that's the next underlying section that you have over here, which says, Amidosov, going the wrong way, sorry. Anybody who is forgiving when somebody else insults them, somebody else says something which is mean, or somebody else says something which is insulting or hurtful. And if a person who's willing to overlook that and forgive the person who made that snide, uh, rotten comment, so that person is going to be forgiven for all of their sins. So Chazal themselves extol the virtue of somebody who's willing to be forgiving and says that that's a positive trait which a person should, uh, that a person should strive for. And once again, it makes it sound as though Rabbi Kiva is indeed greater than Rabbi Lezer because he's a forgiving person. And Rabbi Lezer is of lower stature because he is not such a forgiving person because he's a more strict person. So how do we make sense out of this Gemara that says that Rabbi Kiva is in, in fact not greater than Rabbi Lezer when Chazal themselves say that the, that the trait by which Rabbi Kiva is characterized, which is being a forgiving person, that that is a trait which one should strive to, uh, to achieve. Okay, so that's the, the question. So in the next paragraph, he says that he begins to unravel this from another very famous Gemara uh, in, uh, in Shabbos. And the Gemara there says, this is the underlined section of the next paragraph, where it says, a person should always be humble like Hillel was. We're not talking about base Hillel here. We're talking about the original Hillel Hazakin. So a person should always demonstrate humility like Hillel. And a person should not be stern as was Shammai. And we know that the Gemara goes ahead and recounts a number of incidents where we see this contrast between Hillel and Shammai, that Hillel was a very humble person, it was a very patient person with others, 
and Shammai had very little patience and was very stern. Like the person the, who wanted to convert and says, teach me the entire Torah on one foot. Shammai goes out and sends the guy away, says, get out of here. I don't need you here at all. He's just a stick to send him away. And Hillel says, that you should love other people like yourself. And everything else is just, is just commentary. And so the Gemara goes at and says that uh, gives give, uh, tells over all of those different stories, which highlights that contrast between Hillel on the one hand and Shama on the other hand. So says uh, uh, Rabbi Yisrael again. Rabbi Yisrael Salander says again that many people erroneously think that Hillel was greater than Shammai. Because Hillel had the trait of humility, Shammai had this trait of being stern, of being very uh, strict, and that would make Hillel greater than, than Shammai. Because seemingly we value the trait of humility over the trait of somebody who is very strict and somebody who's uh, who's not very seemingly not very humble at least not very patient with other people we would we would assume that patience is a virtue lack of patience is not a virtue is the, is the absence of that uh, that virtue and therefore that would make Hillel greater than uh, than Shammai was but says Rabbi Yisrael in this next paragraph where did I go he says Achain Zeutos. He says, however, that's a mistake. It's a mistake to assume that Hillel is in any way greater than Shammai. Why? Now we'll, but we'll read a bunch of uh, underline. So he says, He says that we should, we would, when, when we first hear about and we read about how uh, um, Shammai was seemingly impatient, and he was very strict, and he was very stern with the people that he, he interacted with. So we're left a little bit shocked that that a Tana would have those what seemingly negative character traits, because he says, again, the hello yadua ki chazal. He says we know we take it as a given that any person who's considered to be part of chazal mentioned in the Gemara or in the Mishnayos or both. Even if you are a later generation Amora amongst the uh, uh, found in the Gemara, Uma Gamdoros are shown him. And certainly, as you move higher up the generations into earlier generations, they would only be bigger tzaddikim. So we know that all of those people who are mentioned in Shas and the Midrashim, they were literally, they behaved as righteous and as pious as angels. They were incredible human beings with incredibly refined character. And they fulfilled the entire Torah. And certainly they were in possession of all of the positive character traits, which a person could go ahead and cultivate inside of themselves and refine within themselves. So if we're dealing with somebody of the stature, this is the beginning of the era of Tanaim. So these are people whose, whose piety and whose sidkus, whose righteousness is beyond our imagination. So there's no way that there was this simple contrast between them that Hillel was very patient and Shammai had no patience whatsoever, no humility, no patience. He was stern and strict with everybody that he interacted with. There's no way that we could just simply point our fingers at Shammai and say that he was lacking some sort of positive trait to them. There's no way that uh, that, that, w- that that would be true. And therefore, 
uh, we have to wonder, so why was Shammai, why did he behave the way that, that he did? Uh, is it because this is just part of his nature? Was he by nature a strict, stern person who didn't have much patience for, for other people? Or, or is there something else which is going on? He says that, so he says the idea is that, uh, that the basis of, uh, of uh, different approaches to interacting with people, whether you went with Hillel's approach, which is that of patience and that of humility and that of understanding of other people, I shouldn't say understanding, that patience or humility, or whether you took the Shammai approach, which was seemingly strict and stern in a lack of patience. So that was a, that represented a fundamental machlokas between Beishamai and, not between Beishamai, between Shammai and Hillel, as far as what's the correct approach to dealing with other people in Avodah Hashem. In other words, it's not as if Hillel was by nature a humble, patient person, and Shammai by nature was a uh, was uh, missing humility and did not have patience for other people. The way that they behaved was a conscious effort, which was rooted in a disagreement that they had as far as what is the best approach to dealing with other people. What does the Torah want from me? Hillel had one mahalach. He had one idea about what's the ideal way to interact with others. Shammai had a different way of approaching his avodas Hashem, of how he's going to go ahead and interact with others. And Rabbi Yisrael says that this is something which shouldn't be surprising, because he says, Ki just like Shammai and Hillel had halachic disagreements with one another, and that represented a different way that they perceived how halacha should unfold and what exactly the halacha should be. So, so similarly, Shammai and Hillel, or Hillel and Shammai, had a disagreement about what is the best way to go ahead and interact with others. Should you take the humble, patient approach, or is it better to be strict and to be impatient with others and expect higher things from them and let them know that they're not carrying their weight as they should? And this is something which was just a disagreement between them in terms of approach to Avodah Hashem. Like the same way nowadays, we have some people who are uh, take a Litvisha approach, which is very heavy on Torah study, and other people may take a Hasidisha approach, which is going to be very heavy on Avodah Hashem, on Tefillah, and Dveikas, and stuff like that. And it's not to say that either one is necessarily better than the other. It's just two different ways of approaching how one should be Oved Hashem. So there was also a disagreement between Shammai and Hillel. And each one had formulated a, a well-thought-out position as far as what is HaKadosh Baruch Hu, how does HaKadosh Baruch Hu want us to behave? And therefore, after reaching their conclusion, so each one followed what they felt is the ideal approach that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants from them. And Rabbi Yisrael says an amazing thing. He says, towards the end of the paragraph, he says, Amnam, Let's say Shammai, in his research and in his contemplation, decided that the best approach to Avodah Hashem is to go ahead and to be humble and to be patient with other people. In other words, they are, If Shammai had reached the conclusion that the Torah wants a person to go ahead and behave in a humble manner, so he would have adopted 
the humility approach, which we know is characteristic of Hillel. If he felt that that was actually what Akash Baruch wanted from him, he would have gone ahead and, do, and done that. And then he says, And let's say Hillel, through his research and contemplation, had decided that the best approach to Avodah Hashem is one of a stern approach and a strict approach and not having, uh, not demonstrating humility or patience. So you know what? So he would have taken on those behaviors and those personalities if he felt that that is actually what Akash Baruch Hu wanted from him. So it's not as if Shammai had a personal preference this way and Hillel had a personal preference the other way. Each one had done their research, had thought about what is the best way to serve Akash Baruch Hu, and uh, upon reaching that conclusion, they developed the traits which they felt are ideal. But it's not as if this is something which just came naturally to them. This is something which each one of them worked on, and they worked on it because they were of the opinion that that's the best way to approach Avodah Hashem. So now he says, and this is where uh, Rabbi Saul tells us an absolutely amazing thing as far as Elu Elu is concerned. Now, to, uh, to introduce this to you, so I have to tell you a little bit about Yavamas. We just finished Yuvamas in Dafyomi. So uh, after finishing Yuvamas, uh, people are often very hesitant to go ahead and to, uh, to go back to, uh, to that. But let me explain, let me get, prevent, present you with the following case. And I have to give you a different screen share. I'm going to have a whiteboard. Okay, so you have a whiteboard there? Yes. Okay, good. So we're going to say, um, okay, so we're going to have Ruvain over here. So this is brother number one. And then you have Shimon is brother number two. So they are brothers with one another. Ruvain has a he has a daughter. We're going to call her um, Rachel. That's the R theme which is going on over here. And then what happened is Shimon went ahead and this is my international, oh, sorry, my international symbol for, uh, for tying the knot. So Shimon is married to Rachel. Let's just make it a straight line. We'll just go ahead and make it straight. So Shimon is married to Rachel. And another line, Shimon is married to, we'll call her, um, uh, we'll call her Sarah. Sarah. Okay. So what we have over here is Shimon has two wives. He's married to Ruvain's daughter Rachel. So I have to put this. This is the we're going to put over here, Erva. So Rachel, okay, well, you'll see why we do that in a moment. And then you have what's called the Saras Erva. 
all this will become clear. I should have made this chart ahead of time, but okay, bear with me. Okay, so what happens over here is this is the this is the scenario that we have. So Shimon is married to Ruvain's daughter. Her name is Rachel, and Shimon is also married to Sarah. She's not related to anybody. That just happens to be Shimon's wife. Shimon dies tragically. So now when Shimon dies, so and he dies without any children whatsoever. So normally, as you know, that when a man dies without any children, his wife falls to his brother for Yibam. Right? So that's what normally. So if Shimon was just married to Sarah and Shimon dies, so Sarah, well, the terminology is Sarah falls to Ruvain for Yibam. Ruvain marries Shimon's widow. They have children together, name them after Shimon, and, uh, and, the, and they move on. Now, in this case, however, since Shimon is married, one of Shimon's wives is Rachel, which is Ruvain's daughter. Obviously, Ruvain cannot do Yibum with his own daughter, even though there's a mitzvah of Yibum. So we're not going to override the Isidorais of marrying your daughter. So obviously, Ruvain is not going to do Yibum with Rachel. The question is, can Ruvain do Yibum with Shimon's other wife, which is called the Tsaris Erva? Can he go ahead and do Yibum on Sarah because Sarah is not related to anybody? She's just a widow who happens to have been a co-wife of Rachel. So in this specific scenario, so Beis Hillel is of the opinion that just like Ruvain does not do Yibum to Rachel, his daughter, he also doesn't do Yibum to his daughter's co-wife, who is Sarah. So neither Rachel nor Sarah fall to Yibum. Beis Shammai disagrees. And Beishamai says, although it's true, Ruvain is not going to do Yibum with his own daughter, Rachel, Ruvain can go ahead and do Yibum to the co-wife of his daughter. He can go ahead and do the mitzvah of Yibum with Sarah. And Beishamai actually holds that it's a mitzvah. So if Ruvain goes ahead and marries Sarah, according to Beis Hillel, that's an Isser Daraisa punishable with Kares, and according to Beishamai, if Ruven goes out and does Yibum to Sarah, it is, um, sorry, I joined five minutes. Uh, in the event that Ruven goes out and marries Sarah, so it's a mitzvah, and he's going to earn himself Gan Eden. So it's a pretty dramatic disagreement over here between Beishamai and Beishilal, whether Ruven marrying Sarah, is it a mitzvah or is it an Avera? Beishilal says it's an Avera, Beishamai says that it's a mitzvah. Question. Yes. Uh, is is Zeruvin marries Sora? Is that optional, or is he must marry her? Um, there's a mitzvah yibum. If they don't want to, they could always do chalitza. But Ruvain has to do something with Sara to address the fact that there's a yibum type relationship between them. Well, Sora can reject Ruvain, but does Ruvain have an option of not marrying her? Is, is, yeah, he, he could choose not to marry her and do chalitza instead. That's the removal of the shoe and the spitting and all that. So, that, so, that's, a, so that's not just the woman who has that option. It's the man who says, I don't want to marry you. Correct, correct. He could also say that, yeah. Okay, so now, now that we know what the, the case that we're talking about is, so now let's go back to our piece from Rabbi Yisrael. So he says, so, so he, he makes quick, quick reference. Rabbi Yisrael assumes that we're all great Tamid Chachamim. So he could just go ahead and make quick reference to, to the case. But he says that we paskin, happens to be we paskin like Beis Hillel. So we say that if Ruvain were to go ahead and marry Sarah, it would be an Isidar Um 
so he says, let me actually go this, but he says, this is not, uh, uh, going to underline it now, but he says, Ulafiza. He says, based on what we said, based on the way we passed him, if Ruvain were to go ahead and marry Sarah, that Sarah's erva, who so he's violating the Isidaraisa of marrying his brother's wife when there's no mitzvah to do so. And the children of that relationship would actually be mamzerim. Because anytime two people marry one another, where there's an iser kares, that the, the, the relationship is punishable with kares, the children of that relationship are going to be mamzerim. So from Beis Hillel's perspective, and the way we paskin, if Reuven goes out and marries Sarah, does Yibam on Sarah, it's an iser daraisa, and any children from that relationship are mamzerim. But vine muvan may love, but it's understood. So, but Beishamai, from their perspective, not only do they hold it, that they say in theory it was a mitzvah, but Beishamai Nicks actually would, if, if Ruvain and Sarah were Beishamai Nicks, they actually would do Yibum in that case. And as far as they're concerned, Lo Hayalem Shum Avon Klau. And this is the amazing, mind blowing thing which Rabbi Yisrael says is that for Beishamai, if they go ahead and do so, there's no sin at all. And, and we don't even consider it as if they violated this Iser inadvertently, because even though subsequently Chazal Paskin like Beisilo, so nonetheless, that has nothing to do with Beishamai, because until the Basco went, or until we went ahead and decided that the Allah is going to follow Beishilo, Beishamai had every right in the world to Pascha like their opinion. And since in their opinion, this was a mitzvah, so they have every right to go ahead and, uh, and follow their halachic opinion on this matter. And they don't even have to say, you know what? Basilal is an equally valid opinion, and they hold that it's an Issa Daraisa, and I'm not going to do something which is potentially an Issa Daraisa. Rabbi Israel says they have no obligation to take into account Basil's opinion because they don't go to Basil's yeshiva. They're a bunch of Beishamaniks. And as a bunch of Beishamaniks, they could follow that approach all the way through, straight down the barrel, and they could go ahead and they could do so. And now that's what he says in the next underlying section. And not only are they allowed to maintain their opinion, but Rabbi Saral says, according to the Torah, they must go ahead and follow their opinion. And not only that, so he says, not only not only would Beishamai not be held accountable for an inadvertent violation, but he says, and this is what's, what's absolutely amazing. He says, those Beishamayniks who were Ruvain and Sarah, if both of them are Beishamayniks and they actually do Yibum, he says they're going to get rewarded in Ganaidid for the mitzvah which they did. Because in the Olam Ha'emes, in the world of truth, in Gan Eden, they are going to be rewarded for performing the mitzvah, which they held was a mitzvah. Question. Yeah. Uh, isn't there a... Uh, 
Isn't there something about breaking up the unity of the Jewish people that that uh, uh, Shammai would do? Because it's, it, uh, Hillel wouldn't be able to associate with those people. Right. So, so the Gemara actually says that when proposing a shidduch between the Beis Hillel and the Beis Shammainik, so Beis Shammainiks were sensitive enough to realize that Beis Hillelniks may consider some of these people mamzerim, and they would pre-warn them. And Beis Hillel trusted Beis Shammai that if there was any issue with this marriage, which would make the Beis Hillelnik uncomfortable, so Beis Shammainiks would always disclose that. Now, that's one element of it. Now, the other element of what you said about Lotis Godidu is the, was what uh, you, you began with. The, uh, the, uh, the uh, idea, the principle that we want uniformity in Torah and we don't want agudos agudos. We don't want one group following halacha one way and one group following halacha a different way. Also part of the discussion there in the, at, at the beginning of Yuvamas. So that... Uh, we say that when there is a universally recognized debate between two opinions, so that is a, that's going to be acceptable. Agudos agudos is where you have members of the same base, in let's say, who have differing opinions and follow halacha in a different way. But to have a city which follows Beis and a city which follows Beis or even in the same city, one base in follows Beis one base in follows Beis so that's going to be acceptable. There's a lot to discuss about the agudas agudas, but that's not our uh, our discussion right now. But here, what Rabbi Yisrael maybe will will uh, will find a good essay on that uh, to address at some point in the future. What's important for us right now is this idea that Rabbi Yisrael is telling us that we we think, and this is a phrase which I use when I when when I teach this idea, is that many people are under the impression that halacha works works like a mathematical equation. In other words, that no matter where you are in history, where you are culturally, where you are in the universe, two plus two is always four. Two plus two is not something which is a subjective thing that a person could say, I identify as if two plus two is five. Math is a straight up uh, uh, equation like that. And nothing is going to change no matter where you are, what you are, what you believe or anything else. Two plus two is always going to be four. But, and people erroneously think that halacha is the same way, that you could go ahead and you should, given the exact same circumstances, if you ask that question to any rav in the world, every rav should give you the exact same answer, given the exact same facts. But that's not the way halacha works. And Rabbi Yisrael is highlighting the fact that that's not the way halacha works. And this is why this is such an important, uh, this is such an important idea. Because Rabbi Yisrael is saying that this exact same action of Yibum to Eitzaras Erva, whether or not you're going to be rewarded or punished for that act, is not because in Shamayim there's one halacha, and either you match that halacha in Shamayim or you don't match that halacha in Shamayim. The truth is, is that Shamayim, that, that phrase that we use, which you're, you're familiar with, Loba Shamayim He, that the Torah is not in heaven, what that means essentially is, is that in Shamayim, there is no correct answer for that question, for that halacha question, and whether or not for you it's considered to be a mitzvah, or for you it's considered to be an avera, depends on which yeshiva you learned in. If you went ahead and you went to the Beis Hillel yeshiva, and you married a tsaras erva, what that's going to mean is after 120, if you live that long, so they'll say, why did you do that? Why did you marry a Tsarist Erva? 
and they will say, "Listen, we looked at your uh, at your uh, your school records. You are a base Hillelnik. Since you're a base Hillelnik and you may, married at Saras Erva, that means that you get karis, you get Gehenim for that action." And the next person who's up for judgment in Shemaim happens to be a Veshamainik. And they look at that person, they say, oh, we looked at your school records, and you're a Veshamainik, and from marrying at Saras Erva, you earn yourself Ganeidim. So two people do the exact same action, exact same circumstance, everything about it is exactly the same. The only difference is, one fellow learned in Beishamai's school, one fellow learned in Beishillel's school, that difference alone is going to affect whether or not you go to Gan Eden for what you did, or you're going to Gehenim for what you did. But the exact same thing. And that is this, this existence of, uh, uh, of, of halacha, where you can have not only multiple opinions existing at the same time, but mutually exclusive opinions coexisting at the same time, and that's all within the rubric, that's all within the, an acceptable framework of halacha, and that gets to the very essence of Eluv Elu Divrel Kim Chaim is not simply let's you all get along and let's not be judgmental, judgmental of other people's opinions and other people's practices. And it's not for you to put their, your nose into, uh, into their halachic business. This is something which is much more profound philosophically in that these two opinions, mutually exclusive opinions, could perfectly coexist with one another. And the only difference is going to be who's your Rebbe. Are you a Beishamanik or you're a Beishilonik? And that's going to affect the, the, the outcome. Uh, a student yes. of Bet Hillel can't change and go and study with the uh, Bet Shammai? Uh, so that's an interesting question about whether or not the person could go ahead and switch schools or switch Minhagim or something like that. So uh, there was a, a, an enormous amount of literature which was, uh, which was written when Hasidus began to, uh, to, uh, to take hold and began to spread, and one of the things which, uh, which, they were, which the anti-Hasidim, the Misnagdim, were able to point to and saying that, that you're clearly doing something wrong because of this, was they changed the sitter. They went from Nusach Ashkenaz to Nusach Sfard. So they said, how could you do this? The minig in your family is Sadavim Minig Ashkenaz. What gives you the authority to go ahead and start changing around your minhagim? And you could go ahead and you could adapt a different way to uh, Tadavim, on top of other things which they did. But the Siddur became this major sticking point between the two groups. And it was such, it, it, it was so, um, it, it was such a, a strong debate which took place that you find in Shuvas, what happened was, is you had a father who was a misnagid and his son became a chassid. And the father was unhappy that the son became a chassid. And he was so unhappy. Now, one of the, main, one of the differences that you know between a, a Nusach Sfard and Nusach Ashkenaz is whether you say, Do you add those four words in Kaddish? So if you're davening in an Ashkenazi place, you don't have those four words. If you're davening in Nusach Sfard, a Hasidic place, so they add those words, So there were fathers who told their sons, who became Hasidim, they said, if you are going to say Kaddish and add those words, don't say Kaddish for me. I'm not interested in your Kaddish if you're going to add those four words. And then Poskim deal with, you find Shuvah Saram dealing with whether or not the sons have to listen to their fathers who gave behind those instructions. Should they actually listen and not say Kaddish for their father? Because the father said, I don't want over my dead body. He's already dead. But over my dead body, are you going to go ahead and say Kaddish and add in those four words or, or not? 
So that is, a, as I said, that is a whole discussion in and of itself about whether or not you could change schools and can somebody who grew up as a Beis Shammainik adopt Beis Hillel practices or can a Beis Hillel Nick go ahead and adopt a Beis Shammai practice? In the time of Chazal, the, uh, the question was uh, a little bit less. And the reason why it was a little bit less is because by and large, people who didn't identify with family minhagim, by and large, people identified with city minhagim. So nobody had a personal minhag per se. People had their, each city had a minhag, how they perform mitzvahs and different things about their, uh, their halachic practice. So that's why you find in the Gemara's, in, the, in Psachim, for example, in the Dafnun or so. So the Gemara actually talks about what happens when a person moves from one city to another city. So are they just visiting that second city, that second city, or they're actually moving to that second city? And the Gemara says, it's, it's pretty clear, the Gemara says, and it's clear in Shulchan Aruch, that in those times, when you move from one city to another, and you're now taking up permanent residence in that second city, you now abandon all of your, the first city's minhagim, and now you adopt and you conform with all of the minhagim of the second city. Because they didn't have family minhagim, everything just depended on where you lived. And as soon as you move to another place, whether the new city was more lenient or whether the new city was more strict, it didn't make a difference. You just became a member of that second city and you adopted all those practices. So back then, if you moved to Holland, so you went from a place where they waited six hours between meat and milk, and you moved to Holland, and suddenly you're, uh, you, could, you, uh, you become subject to that leniency, which says you only have to wait one hour between meat and milk. And vice versa, if you grew up in Holland and your family had been in Holland for three, four or five generations, everybody waited one hour, and now you move to a different place, suddenly you find yourself waiting six hours. And you can't say, no, no, no my family minog is to go ahead and wait uh, one hour, and I'm going to continue to wait one hour. There was no such thing back then. Everything related to whether or not w- w- where you lived. Nowadays, it's become, it's taken on this, uh, this, uh, this dimension of being a family minog, which people feel that to go ahead and violate that is something which is, uh, uh, they're, uh, they're very reluctant and very hesitant to do. But that's something which is uh, more recent and probably more recent uh, from the time when Hasidus started and you had all these disagreements and families uh, arising in terms of halachic practice and what people are, uh, are, are going to do. Okay. So now he says, let's uh, do a little bit more. So we're probably not going to finish the entire piece tonight, which is okay. But he says, now once Rabbi Yisrael has established this idea that the machlokas between Beisham and Beisilo, both of them are equally valid opinions, up until the point where we decided, I should add that in the end of the, the, end of the paragraph there. So he says that, uh, that for uh, generations, so you can have this disagreement between Beishamai on the one Beishamai on the one and Beisel on the other hand is far as halachic practice. Beishamai says we consider this to be a mitzvah, and a Beishamai nick earn, uh, earns a, a gan Eden for that. Beisel says we hold this in avera, and therefore you're going to be punished if you go ahead and do that action. And during that time, when they were on equal footing, both opinions are elu elu Both opinions are equally valid. And there's no preference between one opinion or the other. Everything is just a function of who you are a student of or where you grew up. But he said, at this point, um, he says that, um, 
also I should probably should have underlined this, but the end of the paragraph says, once the Gemara in Erevin tells us that we pascha like Beis Hillel over Beis Shammai, and now this becomes a universal psak that everybody now has to follow Beis Hillel's rulings over Beis Shammai's rulings. So once that was adopted as Halach Lamaisa in Klal Yisrael, so now what happens is, if somebody nowadays, if Ruvain goes ahead and does Yibam with Sarah, with his brother Shimon's other wife, not his daughter, but the other wife, so everybody's going to get Karis nowadays. And no matter who you are nowadays, you're going to go ahead and get Gehenim for performing that action. And the reason is, even if you're a Beishamainik nowadays, and you say, listen, I've, uh, I wrote my, uh, my PhD thesis on the opinions of Beishamai, and I feel that my soul is connected with Beishamai, and I identify with them, and I'm going to now adopt all of Beishamai's rulings in Shas, and therefore I'm going to marry Tsaras Erva. So we would say to the fella, it's not a good idea because you're going to get yourself Gehenim for that. He says, what do you mean? If it was good enough for Shammai, if it was good enough for Beis Shammai in the time of the Mishnahis, who today is of that stature that you could disagree with Beis Shammai? But it doesn't make a difference whether we are of the same stature of Beis Shammai, as Beis Shammai or not. Once the Halacha is adopted that we follow Beis Hillel, that now becomes universal psak for everybody. And now the reality of everybody's existence is that Tsaras Erva Zinisarkaris? And this is something which is important to be mindful of in terms of our understanding of the evolution of halacha, because halacha definitely goes through an evolution. And that is, is that there could have been at certain times in history where you had two dissenting opinions, both of which were equally valid. And as long as you followed your Rebbe, so you were good to go, whether he told you that this is us or whether he told you that it's Mutter, it doesn't make a difference. But as long as you're following your Rebbe, so you were on solid ground and nobody could criticize you and nobody could tell you that you're going to get him for that. But if in the course of history, it has been decided that Allah is going to be like this opinion and not this opinion, you can no longer go back to that opinion. So even if a generation ago that was a valid halachic opinion to follow, and two generations ago is valid, and three generations ago is valid, and five generations ago is valid, but at whatever point it's universally decided that we're not possibly like that opinion anymore, subsequent generations can no longer claim loyalty to that rejected opinion. And it doesn't mean that they were wrong in their time. In their time, they were correct. But no, it's no longer relevant nowadays. It can no longer be acted upon nowadays. So this is something which is also, it's like a fascinating philosophical element of halacha to understand how at one point in history, so each of these two opinions were equally valid, and Beis Hillel was valid, Beis Shammai was valid, and if, if you, whichever, whichever you, uh, school you are a student of, that's what you would follow. And then comes a point in history, this, this change in history, whereby we say we're no longer accepting Beis Shammai's opinion, halacha lemaisa. we could study their opinion in theory, but it can't be implemented in practice anymore. And nowadays, as we said, if somebody says, I'm a loyal Beishamaynik, and I'm going to follow everything Beishamay says is in Shas, we're going to say, you are a sinner. You're not allowed to do that. All of those things are averas to go ahead and violate the, 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 those halachas. So this is the power, according to Rabbi Yisrael, of Elu Velu Divelukim Chayim, not only the existence of two opinions which are at odds with one another, which are mutually exclusive of one another, 
but the fact that each one is going to be rewarded or punished based on that opinion. And both of those could exist, uh, could coexist in Shamayim. The same act could earn Gan Eden, could go ahead and also earn, uh, uh, could could, uh, subject a person to Gehenim at the same time. And it's just a function of who you are a student student of. So we're going to hold it over here. uh, And next week, we'll see how he swings this back around to Rebbe Kiva and Rebbe Laza that we started off with from that Gemara in, uh, in, uh, in, in Tainus. And then maybe uh, to supplement this a little bit, we'll see a, a secondary approach to the idea of, uh, of Elu Ve'elu. But in the meantime, so we'll, uh, we're going to hold it over here and we're going to call it uh, a night because we'll run out to, uh, to Minchamar.